Thunder Sticks podcast. I'm your host, Ben Kreider, and today we are continuing the draft profile series. Today, I will be talking about Duke forward Paulo Bancaro, his strengths and weaknesses as a prospect, how he's going to project in terms of ceiling, floor, and my overall projection for him moving forward. And to top it all off, guys, I have a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. So you do not want to miss out on that. Starting things out though, we talked about Jabari. We mentioned Chet in the last episode. Now we're moving down to Paulo Bancaro. And he is deemed the consensus number three. It's almost like he has been selected by the Houston Rockets. I don't know if that's set in stone, to be quite honest with you. I think when you look at this race, it's not just a top one, top two guy despite what rumors might tell you. In terms of skill, you're going to find three to four guys at the top of this draft class that have a strong case at being a top selection, and Paulo is most definitely one of them. So like I mentioned, I'm just going to talk about his play in college, some of the measurables, the strengths that's going to translate, some of the swing factors, and where he ultimately could be in the NBA landscape. And I want to start out with this, just breaking down how basketball has sort of transitioned over the last five to ten years everyone is looking to shoot from three you're looking to gain the advantage from the perimeter and off that you're gonna have a wide open paint and you're gonna maximize two point shots off of cuts so you're not looking to have as many back to basket bigs for the most part and you want to have multiple different players who are able to get you open three point shots or high quality looks around the basket It's not just about your point guard crossing the ball past the timeline now and setting up your half-court offense. If you have a forward who's able to generate his own good looks or create quality looks off of dribble drives, you want to put them on the big stage. And Paulo is one of those players where in a front-court position, he's able to have the ball in his hands and he's able to create for himself and others at at a high level, basically as a jumbo on-ball creator. And Coming out of high school, Paulo was a highly sought-after prospect. He was the number four prospect on ESPN's top 100 recruiting board. Ended up going to Duke for Mike Krzyzewski's final run. I think it's fair to say he lived up to the projection. Right now, he's still a top three guy. Where you want to place him in that top three, that's up for debate. But he's most definitely a consensus top three pick in this draft. And in big boards, you'll see him higher than number three. Just delving into the numbers though. At college, he averaged 17.2 points, 7.8 rebounds, 3.2 assists, 1.1 steals, 0.9 blocks, 2.4 turnovers, 1.9 fouls, shot 47.8% from the floor, and 33.8% from distance on 3.3 attempts per game. Did this in a 33-minute pallet across 39 performances and he started in all of them all of them so he was the guy for the Wildcats this year and when you look at how he's going to move from the collegiate level to the NBA ranks it's pretty nice in terms of the frame he has the NBA ready body he's bigger than the average ball handler in the NBA and at 19 years old he really already has the NBA body you'll see a lot of different ball handlers in theory that are 6'9", 6'10", but they're about 210 pounds. And one of the questions that will be brought up is, you know, you got to put some muscle on them. And in some cases, it's even less than 210. You're talking 200, 190 pounds, where when you're talking about the main concerns, weight and injury is going to be atop the list just based on that profile. Paulo does not have that, and he's always been a bigger build. At 6'10", 250 pounds, he is ready to make that jump. And it's not about completely transforming his body. He already has what he needs in terms of the frame. You can just kind of chisel it up a little bit, if you will, uh, in moving on the next like two, three years in terms of you know how you want to uh, structure his diet and whatnot. But when you are trying to draw comparisons in terms of frame, Julius Randle from the 2014 draft class is one of them, 250 pounds. He was six foot nine, so Paulo had one inch greater on Randle coming out of college. 
And just generally speaking, man, you just don't find someone in this build with the type of archetype that he has. He has, you know, the play style of someone who's, you know, your secondary ball handler or even your primary ball handler in some situations. And with his seven foot one wingspan, he gives him another edge as well. So it caters towards the size. I'll say when you're talking about the multi-positional defenders or your ideal frame for, you know, a versatile guy who's switching all the time. You want to have a wingspan that is greater, probably by like three, four inches. Ideally, you want more. Like a 6'4 guard with a seven-foot wingspan is a very attractive. With Paulo, it's still a three-inch uh, advantage in terms of wingspan. So that could be you know, a nice trait for him. It's not one of the big things where you're circling it and kind of blotching it down in some highlighter. But yeah, his frame is one of his biggest strengths. And it's one of the reasons why people think he's going to move over so smoothly to the NBA level. Going into his strengths though, the first one is the ball handling ability. And what separates Paulo from your other prospects atop this draft class is He's extremely fine-tuned as a ball handler. Guys like Jabari Smith, the big concern with him is, is he going to be able to handle in the half court? Can he create his own shots if it's not off of a two-dribble pull-up or whatnot? You know, let's see some size-up combinations and see if you can isolate to the basket on your own. Paulo has shown the ability to do that, and I think that's what surpasses him from other ball handlers, particularly in the front court that will come out of the draft class in the next coming weeks. But he's able to put a ball on a string, and he can be your rotation's lead ball handler if need be. When you look at the dribble moves, he has a good amount in his his bag. I mean, in terms of the handle, it's a fairly tight handle for 6'10". And sometimes, and I'll get into it later, you'll see him loosen up a bit, and it can lead to some turnovers when he's, you know, going for some of these dribble moves. But... I like it for the most part and what he's able to bring. He he likes going between the legs in order to create in the half court, and it opens up his defender to create shots in the mid-range for the most part. If he's hovering around the free throw line and you see him go you know, right hand to left hand off of between the leg, that's when you kind of need to be alert because he'll immediately pick that ball up, rise up at the jump shot, and he's able to sting you in that area. In terms of other shots, he's really good at just positioning positioning himself off of drives based on his handling. He has a nice moving crossover. It's going to kickstart a size up or just catch his defender going one way or the other, susceptible to another jump shot. So that opens a lot in terms of the creation ability and just being able to isolate in general. And he's able to get defenders out of position before he even places the ball on the deck. So I was talking about a lot of the live dribbles behind the backs, moving crossovers. Sometimes he'll size you up and, and take five seconds before really going anywhere. But sometimes he'll take five seconds without moving anything. He'll just keep his pivot foot down and he'll end up killing you there. Big way he does that is with his jab. It's a pretty violent jab where you know he's getting the basketball, jab once, jab twice. He'll jab three times if he needs to. And if he sees the defender bite and lower their stance, he can rise up for the shot. In other cases, he'll just start the jab out to, you know, see if he gets a defender's hips going one way. Then he's going to go the other and try to slash to the basket. So that's another part of his game that might be not underrated right now, but it needs to be credited and sort of bunched into the way he's able to help create with his ball handling ability. And he's able to kind of kill these defenders off of just pure anticipation you know if they're looking for the drive little jabs gonna open up the the shot of course and then vice versa it's a very nice thing to have in your bag that you know we don't see a ton of times coming out of these 19 year olds that are you know six nine six foot ten and just generally speaking having a guy that's six ten that's able to handle the basketball is a rarity And it's even more so one when that ball handler is 250 pounds and 19 years old. He has not stepped on an NBA court, but you can say that he's going to be a good ball handler and he's going to be able to create his own shots. 
in terms of, you know, getting into that second level because his dribbling is really uncanny for uh, where he's going to be placed on the basketball court. And it's just more advanced, I guess you could say. It's a complicated matchup for some of these more flat-footed fours and fives. You don't really want to have those matchups, especially if he's able to strengthen his perimeter game, which we'll go into in a little bit here. Before going to that third level, though, I want to talk about the mid-range game because he is able to create those mid-range jump shots at a fairly high rate. Starts with the on-ball ability. I think the mid-range is sort of a byproduct of what he's able to do in terms of putting the ball on the deck. But um, yeah, it's able to open the avenues necessary for him to really get off on his shot. And the jab, as talked about, is sort of the primary one where you'll see him be able to rise up and uh, be deadly in the mid-range. And his jump shot is really good. When you're talking technicalities, it's pretty sound. He's able to get uh, pretty good shots, even when a little off balance on these mid-ranges, both moving and standstill jump shots. And he rises up enough to where, you know, it's not an easy block. And in terms of contests, you can get to him, but it's hard to, you know, get your, your hand on the ball when he's rising up for these types of jump shots. So he liked to play with his food just a little bit in this part of his game. You'd see him go three, four jabs before he launched shots. But, you know, if it was going in at a high rate, you're going to put a big check mark on, on that area of his game. I think one of the on-the-ball moves that you need to look towards is the between the legs, as we discussed, just because right as he gets the ball in his left hand, you know, he's able to continue to keep the ball on the deck, try to slash at you. But if the defender's kind of backpedaling a little bit, they're not in the correct stance to contest, and they're not closing out near enough, that's when he's able to immediately get that right hand under the ball, sky up, and get a really high-quality jump shot right around the foul line. So don't see many contests in that area. Even on closeouts, he didn't seem too affected by that. That's one of the uh, tendencies that I think you should chalk up when looking at Paulo. And another thing that came in small doses was his turnaround jump shot, both at the elbow and the baseline. And these came with some pretty heavy contests. Still got some baskets out of them. Now, you can see a double-edged sword here where there's a positive on there's turnaround potential. And if you master a turnaround jump shot, that's a very scary shot to place in your arsenal. And for defenders, you just don't like guarding turnarounds. But the other side of the coin is you'll see on some reports where bad shot selection is shown and these types of turnaround jumpers would be categorized because he is, you know, under heavy duress when he's going up for these. If he masters his craft here, though, that is another really deadly part of his game. Already know that he's able to put the ball on the deck to create, but if you can just simply throw him an entry pass, you know, around that baseline or around that elbow, he can sky up and hit there. That's definitely something that you'd want to kind of test with in terms of his player progression. And in terms of like how many times we saw turnarounds, it was a sliver of his actual shots in the mid-range category. It's just one of those potential things that you want to try to build off of going forward. And I'd say the mid-range game has sort of fizzled out a little bit. I mentioned it uh, just talking about why Paulo was so valuable as a ball handler. But a lot of the mid-range game is sort of being waned off of. You know, you can look at NBA.com and they'll have stats by zone. Some teams weren't even taking, you know, 250 shots from 14 to 19 feet out. That is a very slim number. And in some cases, I think the 10 to 14 foot range is also around there where you're not breaking 250, 300 shots in the course of an entire season. So some teams are only playing in the paint or they're playing at the perimeter. They don't want to see these, you know, long two-point shots that might not be as efficient. And, and when you're talking analytics and points per possession, that is big time. That's something that a lot of teams really value in terms of staffing. So you need to kind of look at that and, and see how he would maybe project on some teams. I don't think this is something that you tear out, though. You want to keep this intact because having someone who can get you a bucket in late shot clock situations is big. And oftentimes, you'll find those late shot clock attempts from the mid-range area, and Paulo is able to do that. So it adds another dimension and sort of another threat when 
you know, you don't really have uh, the clear-cut option from the perimeter or, or somebody cutting to the basket. And another beauty is his ability to attack the basket. He does a really good job in the half court and in the fast break. He's a player who can isolate basically right at you and get up for shot attempts. But he's a lot more meticulous in how he's able to slash inside. You know, he's a player who can get that half step on his man. And if he would like to, he can go up for that right-handed layup or, by God, go up for a dunk attempt, right? But... In some cases, he'll see that he has that half step instead of going up and, you know, awaiting maybe a heavy contest from a chase down. He's just going to pause right under the basket and rely on his really sound footwork to open up some more avenues. So he can control the pace of play, you know, when he gets that tiny little sliver there. He can use that angle to take them out and he just sells them off a pump fake right under the rim, pump fake. Might get them jumping, might not. If they jump, go right into the body. That's a potential and one call there. You know, if they're maybe not as willing to go up in the air and they're back down on their feet playing good defense on Paulo, he'll use, you know, his footwork and his pivoting ability to once again find the angle right around the baskets and get a shot up and in. So those two additions seem slim, but... It really allows him to be more slithery as a finisher and a little bit more versatile because I think Paulo and a lot of guys in his position, if they're able to break away and they have an open lane, they'll go point A to point B and go up for the layup and, and they'll dunk it. You know, whatever it is, that's a high quality look for them in or out. But, you know, if you're able to kind of trick your defender and you don't, you know, have your card shown that, hey, if I have the lane wide open, I'm just going to sprint accelerate and rise up right at you um that that's a little bit more dangerous because teams are gonna have to anticipate what paulo is gonna do if he's pausing right out of the basket now you're doubling him collapsing in on the defensive side he can find the open defender off a double team so you know there's there's a lot more different ways he can play in the paint when he is uh looking to play on the attack and i'd say even when he does go straight line at defenders he does a good job has the strength to absorb some contact on layups. And he's a lot better on the right side, I'd say, in terms of where he'd be more comfortable. I'd go right wing, slashing to the right iron. But left-handed, it's not like a glaring weakness. So in terms of dexterity, I'm not all that concerned. Really do like uh, how he's able to kind of change things up, though, in terms of the speed when he is uh, penetrating the cup. And Another thing is he's able to collect those fouls, averaging close to five free throw attempts per game. A lot of them came off of those slashes to the basket where he's looking to take the contact. He wants to make that first hit, and if the defender's out of place, air's going in the whistle, and he's going up to the charity stripe. Shot about 73% on those foul attempts, so he was fairly efficient when he was able to get up for those easy points. And I'd say, you know, another thing that helps him not just um you know taking contact or using his pivoting ability it's the way he gathers he has a very nice spin out of gathers and if he has a defender going one way you pop that moving spin now he's got the angle he needs he can go up with either hand with it and there's really not going to be too many hiccups to it even off these spins you would see him go in the straight up dunks out of them too so that is one of the, I think, marquee tools that he'll continue to use if coaches are not, you know, as in love with his ability to pause under the rim when he might have a good layup attempt just off of straight line driving. The spin is one where it's going to stay in his bag regardless because he's very advanced in terms of how to manipulate the defender off of those and even uses half spins to trick them even more to kind of get off those angles when you know, the, the teams are fully anticipating that full spin, just crank the half one and you're able to create a little bit of a window that you're able to go up and in with. Another thing, just in terms of transition, I do like the above the rim play. Sneaky good lob threat when he is, you know, running and he's not only going to be the guy slashing with your point guard off a of transition, he can go coast to coast himself. And I think that has some real value to it. The pace was not high octane at Duke whatsoever. I think they ranked 170 or somewhere around that, that ballpark range. 
if he's in a system where they are going to play fast break over and over, you're going to start to see him a lot better in this area. And I think it kind of got thrown in the shadows due to how Duke played. But I think at the NBA level, you're going to start to see a lot more transition reps and some better results from him um, in, in that category. Now, going back a little into the handling, I just want to tap into... One of the big parts of the game now, setting that high ball screen and trying to get something going out of that. Whether it's a dribble drive, shooting over the top of your defender, there are some looks that can come out of that. You look at what we've seen in the finals this year. What happens? Basically, every time the Warriors touch the basketball, you're seeing high ball screen after high ball screen. Kevon Looney's getting dragged up. Draymond Green's going up. Even guys like Andrew Wiggins are setting screens to try to get Curry freed up for three or an interior shot. Celtics have to adjust to that. They're just basically committing fully uh, to guarding Curry. Uh, and sometimes they just, they've just they actually dropped, which has led to him having some success. But the main story is you're starting to see teams put a lot of emphasis into these screens up top and getting you started out of the pick and roll and spacing everybody out onto the perimeter. I think teams are looking to maximize the number of players that can create out of the pick and roll. As that handler, it's not just about your guard doing it now. If you have a forward who's competent in this area, you want to try to give them some reps and get them good mismatches off the switch where they can just go up, penetrate, or or do, you know, the best of both worlds. Whatever that might be should result in a pretty high quality look when you do have a a complete player who can get you uh, through pick and rolls. I think his ability to quickly, you know, pop those jump shots off the crossover is big time. There's already like that innate tendency for Bancaro to take shots in the mid-range. And that holds value in a pick and roll setting. You know, when he's getting a screen at the top of the key, I think the mid-range potential is inflated. Sometimes you'll see teams play drop coverage on anyone. Let's say they play drop coverage on Bancaro and... You know, there's not a hedger. No one's switching right on to Paolo when, you know, he he seeps into the two-point range. The free throw shot is going to be given up, and you'll see some players. I'll use a Thunder example and what his draft day highlights looked like. Teo Maladon, when he got around a screen, he would actually use his behind to almost like bump his defender backwards, kind of take him out the play, um... And then he kind of creates a cushion because his former defenders, like right on his rear, can't really get in for a solid contest. Other man's dropping down. That's going to give you some space for that mid-range jump shot. I think that's something Paulo could really get himself into. And even if it's not like that, he's not using his rear to bump people away. He's still able to rise up and hit those mid-range jump shots at a pretty solid clip. When looking at overall reps uh, in a pick and roll, I would think that teams would like to play drop coverage on Paulo right now just because he's not that certified sharpshooter from three. You would rather give up that top of the key triple than seeing him drive to the basket. Um, So that's one area he could obviously touch up on and improve, but you do like how he can play from 18 feet out and even slashing the basket. As we talked about, he's able to, you know, draw fouls. So he can go right into the body of one of those centers and try to get some commotion going in that area as well. So to kind of bode with, you know, getting those jumpers out off of screens, I do think that, you know, he's able to kill you off the drive. If you have someone going late on a switch off the screen or just rotating in general. So for someone readily looking to attack the basket, it's basically a requirement at this point to be solid not just navigating off the screen, but being a good playmaker as well. You don't just want a really good slasher that can't kick out because then you're going to see defenses collapse and it's not going to be good because the decision-making is going to get tanked. There's going to be low-quality looks around the basket and not too many people are going to be happy about it. Paulo improved significantly as a drive-and-kick player and I think he'd be a very good one moving over to the NBA. And he had success finding players at the corner whenever you saw players collapse. Another thing is 
interior players, whether, you know, they faded the basket. Mark Williams was the main person um, with Paulo this year. So we'll use Mark Williams as the example. But if he fades to the three-point line and no one's following him, he's able to almost, like, use his body as a shield, get to both of the defenders, kick out to the top of the key to Williams, and then he has that straightaway shot if he would so choose. On the flip side of this, you know, let's say he slips or there's a screen up top and someone cuts to the basket. He's looking down at the rim and he's going to be able to find that open target under the basket. So that's where his playmaking is really blossomed. And that's where he'll get those sets. I think, um, you know, if some of the other areas of his game end up coming into fruition, another deal with the passing is he's just a crafty passer. I think he's kind of had an underrated go in terms of this element of his game. He's good at making shots for others, and he's a great passer when penetrating, as we talked about, but it goes far beyond those rotations to the paint. In terms of post work, Paulo does a great job reading the floor, especially if you have the help defense come into collapse. If if he's doubled, you'll see a lot of players just get completely frazzled, and they don't know where their target is. Paulo knows how to hit the open man, who the open man would be, some of the rotations as well. So that's a bright spot you can look towards. Another one where Mark Williams just was the perfect sidekick next to Paulo in these situations. Seven foot two wingspan right under the basket. You feed him when he's wide open. That's going to be a very high quality look for the Blue Devils. Another thing though is the grab and go ability. That's not just going to yield him taking transition shots but it's also him getting the offense going with an outlet pass and it's not just a simple get the rebound kick to your guard and he has to run three-fourths of the court if he sees someone at the timeline spurting and they have a good go at the basket he's gonna try chucking it full court basically uh, to get an open look and he's doing this with some style as well I'd say even in the half court you're seeing some of his flair added where you know he's using his eyes almost to, um, you know, get defenders looking the wrong way and, you know, lodge a cross-court pass to a cutting teammate. Just simple reads like that give you the um, the blueprint that he's going to be a fairly good playmaker when it comes to transitioning over to the next level. So he's a competent operator in transition, doesn't get frazzled crazy often when he's pressured, and as we talked about, the pick and roll has shown, uh, you know, some daylight. So that's where you um, you kind of put another plus next to Paulo's game. The last one here kind of centers more around the potential. And one of them, we already know he is very good at. And that's just isolating to the basket. He's going to be able to get you a bucket late in the shot clock right now, even without that third level uh, from the three-point line. But the three ball is going to be a major swing factor. And I'm going to discuss this even further in a second here. But if he does get that third level, the three-level scoring potential is going to be there because he already has two out of the three. And it makes him not just a really scary on-ball creator. It makes him an even greater one. But off-ball, now he is significantly more damaging as a threat. Already has the good handles, has good footwork, good on-court vision when slashing, mid-range is solid. What's that final piece? It's going to be his perimeter play. He's more suited as that on-ball creator right now. In off-ball situations, I think right now you'd probably place him at the elbow or you'd put him at the right wing to try to attempt some triples. You want to get him to the area, though, where he's going to play anywhere at the perimeter and his defender will at least have to acknowledge him. And he already has a good base the jump shot is promising I think the foul line shooting 73 percent is not it's not like elite of course 80s that benchmark that's kind of mocked up in everyone's head but you know he's fairly consistent at the line and he was consistent getting to his spots in the mid-range area so he has shown in spurts to be a good three-point shooter he needs to kind of cement that though if you will. In terms of the bucket getting, I know I'm too I'm I'm basically going back to this for like a third time in five minutes, right? But 
he has the versatility. He can get you off the jab. He can slash or he can pop. And he can yield some really good looks, um, you know, under some tight circumstances where some players just won't be able to create space in a short amount of time. Perfecting that three ball is going to be major. He doesn't have like that big step back, but just generally speaking, the shot amplifies just about everything in terms of screens. Now defenders might not be dropping every single time. If they do, he can shoot over the coverage and that's going to be a very good look. I think Cade Cunningham from last year, you know, he's not the same level as Paulo, obviously, but like in terms of how you scouted him, one of the big um, marks was if you were going under on screens, Cade was going to shoot over the top basically every time, and he shot 40% from the perimeter. Player, you know, People didn't expect Cade to be a 40% shooter in college, but he was spreading his wings in the pick and roll, and that's why he was the number one pick when we came to last year's draft day. He was just able to space the floor out as the on-ball creator. He gave you a lot of what you wanted, and he's 6'8", so that's an added uh, kind of plus to you know his case for Paulo having that is going to be major and I think that is just the ultimate swing factor when it comes to being able to shoot at a good rate from downtown want to go into some of the improvement areas of Paulo in one second here but first I'll let you all know about a very special offer going on with my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook Are you ready for the NBA champs to be crowned? Join the finals action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA bet and get $150 in free bets instantly. Looking to turn another small bet into a big payday during the NBA finals? With a DraftKings same game parlay, you can do just that. This NBA season, a customer placed a $5 same-game parlay and won over $5,000. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets like which team will win, total threes made, total rebounds, and more, and boom, you have a shot at an even bigger payout. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Make any $5 bet during the NBA Finals and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TBPN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. An official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. Moving along, though, to some of the improvement areas with Paulo. Big one basically piggybacks off of what we just mentioned in terms of the shooting upside, the three-level threat, and all the big pluses that it would bring and really all the elements of his offensive game. Has to maintain some shooting consistency, though. And you look at the numbers. He was a fairly solid three-point shooter. He shot 33.8% on triples this year, 3.3 attempts per game. And when it mattered most, you could depend on him to hit from all three levels. He shot 10 of 20 from three in the NCAA tournament. When you ax those numbers from his overall season look, though, he goes from shooting around 34% from three to shooting 34 of 110. That's basically 31%. And, you know, percentage-wise, you obviously would like to see that increased a lot more. So he had that extremely hot stretch, and it showed you the potential. Like, Paulo basically was one of the top storylines in the tournament. You had St. Peter's, obviously. That was an amazing one. But, like, individual players and who the stars were, Paulo is probably making some all-bracket teams because he was very efficient basically every game, and you didn't see any crazy shooting woes that took Duke you know, out of a game or made it a lot closer than it should have been. That span gives that potential, but it didn't tell the full story where, you know, he was up and down and there's sort of his an asterisk placed next to that three-point percentage. Based on the mid-range game, you can see his shot mechanics are where they need to be at. 
it's all about getting those reps in, being in the correct situation where they're going to be okay with some up and down games. If he's handling out of the high ball screens, it's still going to be wise to probably drop right now. He shot 26.9% at the top of the key this year. That's 14 of 52. So almost half of his three-point shots came from this area. And that's where he was probably at his weakest. He shot very well at the corner, albeit not very reps, not many reps at all. So you do need to get more of a read on that. He shot 13 of 21 from both uh, corners combined, and that's 62%. Right wing was one of his better areas. He shot 39.3% from that zone. Other wing completely opposite story shot four of 25 at the left wing that's 16 percent so it was a lot about ranges it's also about sample size where you know you really can't dictate much there however you know you just want to see him kind of bloom in this aspect because there is a lot that can come out of just a simple tweak to that jump shot being a little bit more consistent when you look at the game-by-game game stats for Paulo, you'd see times where he's shooting none. No no attempts, actually, from three. Sometimes they'll go four out of seven. Other nights, he's going oh out of four, and there's like those one of three outputs sprinkled in between. So you really didn't get that consistent patch where he's looking to find three-point shots until the NCAA tournament, and that's where you know he was at his best. So You'd rather have that spurt at the end of the year than him looking great as a three-point player to begin the season, and then it obviously tanks. I think that's where scouts are looking to evaluate the most, though, if he's going to be that shot maker, because that's going to amplify um, you know, the isolation and really just his abilities that he's going to have in an offense, whether he'll be the co-star or he's going to be the star, if he's going to be primary on-ball, or if you can use him as that off-ball threat that is going to yield good production whether you know it's coming off a catch-and-shoot possession or him trying to slash to the basket and create for some of his other teammates. Going beyond just that shot, though, I want to talk about the defensive side of the ball. And defensively, I don't think he's that bad. It's more of like a figurative light switch when it comes to Paulo. Has the build that should get him to cover, uh, cover the front court guy as well. 6'10", 250 pounds. That's good for a power forward spot. And even against small ball fives, it also plays the part. However, he had a good amount of defensive lapses playing with Duke. And the big thing was just the ball watching. That's why I say the light switch. Like when he was on, he was looking for all these defensive cues. He was actually pretty good. But you would see times where he's just super lackadaisical. And he'd give up steps off the ball and just wide open layups right under the basket. Cannot be doing that, particularly when he's defending right around the basket. When players are playing around the post, you'd see him, you know, kind of playing one of the blocks, his his man's, you know, right on the side of him, and Paulo would take a step or two up, whether it's to play, you know, kind of between, whether he wants to be the second level of defense, you know, he's, he's making a commitment sort of when he's making those steps up, and it leaves him vulnerable to a cut to the other side of the basket, Teams would look to take that, and, you know, he was he was caught staring at the guy in the post. He makes a, a nice pass inside. That's going to be two quick points for the other team, and it didn't just work as a, you know, interior guy. I think for the most part, that's where he was stationed at, but, you know, if someone's slashing in the basket, he would have his back turned in some instances where he's still just glued to his man, and, you know, he had no idea that there was a wide-open layup, you know, right at the ready for his opponent. Other times, you'd see him be a very solid weak side defender, though, where you'd see him rotate to the basket off those drives. He could give you a contest or sometimes even go up and swat the shot and get it going the other way. It's all about just, you know, minimizing those times where he's kind of just phased out of of the game because when he's queued in, I'd say he he works just fine in terms of where you'd play him at. I think you you ideally keep him defending the front court positions. Like he's not the multi positional defender right now. At times though, he did have decent recovery uh, when it came to defending those perimeter players. You need to see um, 
you know, kind of how he works in terms of some of the penetrations on guards. Let's say there's a switch up top. Sometimes Paulo would give up that step. I think off the first step, he's not the greatest defender, but he did recover and he has active hands to where he would, you know, dislodge the ball and get it going the other way. Playing, you know, D1 guys compared to NBA guards is a significant jump. They're faster, they're more athletic, and a lot of these times where he had late recoveries just aren't going to cut it at the NBA. So I'd say perimeter defense is also another thing where you need to look out for. It's not like a glaring issue, though, where teams are going to, you know, pinpoint getting Banchero onto you know, their guard and just going at him over and over again. One thing that you might look towards, though, is trying to get him to foul you. He's a very risky player when it comes to not just the passing lanes, but also in the half-court setting. He's willing to make a play for the ball. If it results in, you know, him not reading it correctly and a wide-open shot being created, it is what it is. There's always that other side, though, where he gets the ball going the other way. On-ball defense, he can be a little bit too physical off of reaches. Uh, Sometimes just positioning-wise, you can get the whistle a little bit wet there. And you don't want to get him in foul trouble. So that's another thing where it might need some tweaks. I think the the big hole, though, is just defensive awareness because, you know, if he's not aware on defense, it doesn't matter what those top 10 highlights are going to show you. It's not consistent enough. He needs to have that consistency to really keep him around and and keep him really as a valuable piece on both sides of the basketball and the help defense um you know is is one of those things this is as him playing on ball help defense can kind of cause some issues with him one-on-one I like him he's able to read the floor extremely well he's able to pick his spots virtually anywhere on the floor Problem is, when you have extra artillery unloaded on these ISOs, Bancaro has a tendency to get into these turnovers. And he averaged about two and a half per game. Some of these came on balls, some of them, you know, were off of like errant passes, whatever the case may be. Sometimes stats just simply are misleading, right? But when he has these isolation drives, you'd see him slash right, and you'd see at the right wing, The defender kind of move off his man a little bit, try to play some help defense, and that caused some confusion with him. Normally has that tight handle, kind of gets stifled in those scenarios, though, where, you know, he's sticking the ball out way too far to the wing. That's going to lead to him susceptible to just getting the ball poked loose and, and turning it over. In other areas, he'd basically go into improv mode where he sees the help and kind of hits the panic button. You'd see behind the back moves where he's kind of walled off on both sides. He's trapped, but he's still trying to, you know, size you up. And it just doesn't work, and it leads to not great shots, and it leads to turnovers, just generally speaking. I think he'll just need to read the pressure off a little bit better on those first few dribbles, and the rest should kind of work itself out. In particular, though, I'd say his passing ability strengthens, like strengthens the closer he gets to the basket. So making sure he's able to assess the play right out of the get-go and right off that first step is going to be pivotal to how you're able to use him as a playmaker moving forward. One last little mark on him, I'd say touch around the basket. Good finisher in this year's draft. Has the ability to score on both sides, and he is a foul magnet. One thing that kind of works both ways, actually, is how he drives inside. If he's looking to put his head down and he's looking to go right at you, it can be great. It can get you those tough finishes, and it can get him and one opportunities or just two shots at the line. They also can result in offensive fouls where he's lowering the shoulder, and those clashes around the basket are are just going to lead to not great looks if there's no whistle to be had there. I don't think this is a main point of concern because of how he shoots the line. This is just one where he needs to be cautious of his driving ability, particularly in the late game if he's hovering around like four fouls going into the final segments of the fourth quarter. You do not want him, you know, making these really risky plays late into the game because he already has it defensively where 
he's willing to play odds. Odds would say he's a good driver, but you know, there's always the chance the ref's not going to have it when he's looking to, you know, use that 250 pound build to, uh, you know, his advantage. Overall, though, I think that Paulo is a really just unique prospect at the four spot. The modern NBA has a lot of fours that are playmakers that were initially drafted at the small forward position. It's just sort of how it goes, and there's not too many issues with it. They just play up a few sizes, and they get you good results. That's not the case with Bancaro. He has the NBA-ready body of a power forward. He has the makings of a good one-on-one scorer. And, you know, if you put this same archetype into, like, a six-foot-six guard, you'd still be looking at him as a ball handler, you know? It's not just a part of his game that's inflated due to his size. Like, this is one of the big, big parts of his game, and that's what kickstarts it almost, just how he's able to impact the game on the ball. Needs to make a couple of jumps, particularly you're looking at the shooting and how he's going to be as a defender, but he checks a lot of the boxes that normal fours just don't have, and he's doing it jumping right into the NBA ranks. Combination of size, strength, ball handling, passing vision, rebounding, mid-range game, just makes him a player that I think is going to have that next level impact in terms of a scorer. Biggest determining factor is how many reps he's going to get. There's the big one with a three, but let's just say, you know, outside of it, I think a big, a big factor is just how he's able to play on the ball. And that is tied to the shot. Of course, he's able to get you a bucket in late shot clock situations able to get you foul attempts if need be eight seconds to go no clear option in sight I think the coach would be all right with dumping it down to Paulo and seeing what he was able to do with it and that or that that's like some heavily sought after qualities I'd say just having the player who can bail you out on occasions he should be able to do that and he should be able to do that in isolation I think in terms of other areas that will blossom transition game as mentioned was kind of put on the back burner I think that will be a lot more prevalent with him both playmaking wise and finishing wise around the basket defensively I think there's enough bright spots to indicate he'll at least be you know a sound front court defender at the next level going into his overall ceiling floor projection I think the ceiling is him being that all-star level forward, being that co-star that's going to help lead you. For how the power forward spot has changed, he's just as well-rounded as you could ask for, for still being a teenager. Carries so much talent on the ball as that playmaker, as that finisher in space. I don't think there's going to be that major rookie wall for him. And when the Vegas odds come out, we'll have to see I'd say he's in the top conversation for rookie of the year just based on his current play and and how the NBA has sort of adapted to uh, these type of prospects. It could be not just the theme of his rookie year, but years moving forward where he's kind of at the top of this class and, you know, he's leading at this four position. He fills the role of like that front court aficionado almost where He's able to kickstart your offense, and he's able to do it with that clear frame advantage. If the shot you know, gets to where it needs to be, I think defending him in isolation is just nightmarish, basically, because you know if he's got a screen set up top, he can kill you in, in a lot of different elements, and that works even with him passing the ball out from those types of screens being set one-on-one it's the same exact situation pulling up on you in the mid-range slashing inside if he has that step on you and you know pulling off a moving spin or using that footwork that we've already harped about during this podcast there's so many different elements to Paulo's game that you should just be salivating over at least from the on-ball perspective I would want to see him add a step back I think that's the one like utility not in his bag right now that would be amazing if that shot gets to a solid level 
and they basically just make him that quintessential four in terms of being a creator. That three-level ability, um, yet again, just makes the conversation of screen coverage harder and harder, and the way the game's being changed, you're going to see those reps go up and up in terms of screens being set in performances. I think for a prospective team, you need to push Paulo's boundary as a three-point shooter. Interior game's not much of a concern at all for me. Mid-range game doesn't have any glaring issues. Comes down to consistency there and just overall shot quality that you'll find there. But you need to let him spread his wings. It's not about, for whoever drafts him, making him you know, crafting him basically around what he was collegially. And collegially, he has a lot, right? But you want to, in these first, like, two, three years, have him get thrown into those rookie walls. Put him through those bumps. Make him shoot those threes and see how he's able to perform with those issues. Because if you get him as a viable catch-and-shoot option, not even as an elite one, but just a sound one, he becomes a very dangerous player, and that's why you give him the ceiling of being a premier power forward in this league, being that all-star in the league, and getting you you know, those 25-point outputs with 8-9 rebounds on the side of it. And with the playmaking, he'll get some of those too uh, along the board. Just have to push that boundary, though, when it comes to the shooting. And the floor is still high with me. I think he's a high-level starter, even without that jump shot. Um, you obviously want it, though. And the reason I say he'd be a high-level starter, he's still a ball-handling four, and he's still going to be a very good rebounder. I didn't put, like, elite rebounder on his strengths, but it most definitely is one of the stronger parts of his game. He's looking to clash to the basket and try to get you either an extra opportunity off of you know an immediate layup, kick it back out, or even take it the other way uh, off a defensive rebound. I think that's enough of a base, though. Take that third level out. He's still decent defensively. You know that's more of the area where if you're a terrible defender, it's going to hurt you a lot more than if you're just an atrocious shooter. You need to be a decent defender at least, and I think he's going to be that. Still would be an uber-efficient slasher, rebounder, even in the mid-range. If he has that turnaround in his game, you're looking at someone who's still getting you potentially a double-double um, on a, a good amount of nights, I would say. And he creates enough space off his drives to score on layups and you know create for teammates off a kickout. And he still is that foul magnet regardless. And that brute force around the interior would just get amplified if he wouldn't have anything to rely on past, you know, 16, 18 feet from the basket. If there's no clear resolve to the three, you still have him as that threat, of course. Dump it off to him, give it to him in the mid-range, and maybe still go to that pick and roll. There'd be a lot more drop coverages, of course, if that was the case. But he'd still be an effective pick-and-roll guy when he's in his prime. And that should still be a considerable amount of years. So it shouldn't be that big of a concern uh, in terms of how he would pan out on that side. I think ideally in this situation, you'd want him to be a complete off-ball piece. And that requires him to be a sound shooter. However, he's still a special talent without that in his game and without that third level being a readily dangerous part that he's able to unleash that three ball pushes the ceiling higher and higher gets him past this high level starter area and gets him into the accolades right but he'd still be a damaging player that gives you very good numbers for me personally I have him very high on my big board right now I think the idea that he's a foregone conclusion at three is nonsense. The skill makes him right up there for the number one pick and right up there for the Thunder's number two pick. If Houston gets him at three, they're getting arguably the best player in this draft class at that spot. And you can make the same case that Jalen Green was much the same last year where um, 
you know, Cade was the consensus number one, but Jalen had so many raw skills and so much potential. And five years from now, he could climb and be that top guy from this class. Me personally, I do think he's going to hit that threshold of being an all-star at the four, just because he's so special offensively and the game is meant to be played at the four spot, like the way Paulo has uh, during his tenure at Duke. Mid-range game and shot mechanics make him a guy that I think will be a good three-point shooter. And even if it's just decent, that's still going to make him reach this area of all-star caliber. Ball handling-wise, he's going to require some of your best from a defensive standpoint. You know, you put that flat-footed big on him, he's going to torch you all game. You need to get that Swiss Army knife or, you know, that lengthy wing that is able to be handsy at the perimeter. He can cut off the driving angles and and contest on the interior. And in theory, every team should have one of those, but not everyone does. And even for teams that do have these types of players, they can still get burnt and you can still throw screen after screen on them until you get the matchup that you really are looking to pick apart. So he's going to yield a lot of success working off the deck, even with that, you know, shot not in the cards. Very good passer that he, um, you know, has in him. So he's able to help open up opportunities for other members on the team. Physically, I think that um, he could use a few tweaks. Not not terms, not in terms of frame. My bad, but like in terms of going for those loose balls and, and lowering the shoulder sometimes, just due to the fouls. But the overall energy is a big time plus for him. He's able to create those fouls, shots, with that jump shot. I think he might be able to even widen that net of where he gets fouled. Right now, a lot of those free throws are collected because of how he plays at the interior. You get a shot rolling. Now, you'll see players swipe in when he goes into his mid-range jumper, maybe even from three. And that gets some dangerous, uh, dangerous territories for other teams. Good transition player. I think he's going to be a good self-creator and outlet passer in that category too. Defensively, I still think that Paulo's going to be your run-of-the-mill front court defender. Will he be the multi-positional defender everybody loves? Probably not. However, his weak side potential and moments of success on guards should be enough that you know he'll stand the test against some of these you know high screen setting teams which is basically going to be all of them ball in his hands Banchero is going to be able to get you a bucket off the ball significant impact even as just that average three-point shooter if I were to place him in a role right now Banchero is that secondary playmaker who can be entrusted with a lot of on-ball situations ideal archetype to be your co-star uh, with like a backcourt player. You look at some of the teams at the top of this draft, Orlando, they have a flurry of guards right now with Cole Anthony, Markel Fultz, um, you know, and list goes on with players such as, you know, RJ Hampton and such. They have a lot of different players and they just got a very good playmaker in Jalen Suggs that can create for him. At number two, SGA and Josh Giddy. They like to have the ball in their hands a lot, so could you be having a bit of an issue in terms of the ball distribution? Maybe. Um, that's that's definitely one of those f- interesting fits where I think in terms of what the Thunder want, Bancaro fits a lot because he can score. He puts the ball in the basket, but how does it work if he's not that viable catch-and-shoot guy. They're rebuilding, so I think it still makes sense for the Thunder to take Paulo. And if he goes to three at the Rockets, that is a very good tandem next to uh, what you got in Jalen Green. And if for some reason he's at number four to Sacramento, I'm sure that's a slam dunk for them. They've needed help at the three and four for basically an eternity right now, so they would love to have him. Very high-quality prospect, though, and... Definitely a top three guy in my eyes. 
If you have any other prospects you would like me to cover, though, as we near closer and closer to draft day, make sure to let me know. You guys can hit me up on my Twitter at Ben Kreider, or you can hit up the pod's Twitter at ThundersticksPod. But other than that, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.